0: Blink and you're dead Don't turn your back Don't look away People assume the time is a strict progression of cause to effect But actually from a non-linear objectivity point It's more like a big ball, ball whippy, 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 time wide, whippy, stuff. I don't want to go The Coffee <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Coffee Clutch Crew Doctor Who episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
2: I'm Christina Lomangino.
1: And today we are reviewing episode three Rosa.
2: Directed by Mark Tondere, again, and written by Mallory Blackman and Chris Chibnall. IMDb is giving this a 79 and Rotten Tomatoes a 93%. So IMDb was slightly down for episode two to a 7.1%, and now they're back up to their episode one rating. The critic said Rosa doesn't pull its punches, it's also not especially subtle, occasionally putting on the brakes to outline the specifics of how discrimination operated in 1955, and you're sometimes left wishing it trusted us to engage with the simple, pure power of Parks' actions. But it's a touching story about how small, positive acts can have huge ramifications. It balances pathos and humor to great effect. All things considered, the bold and risky Rosa should be admired because it absolutely has its heart in the right place. I pulled that critic's quote because I absolutely agree with that. There were some aspects of this that I liked and some that I didn't like. I did feel that at times there were certain things about the episode that were heavy-handed, almost as though the writers didn't trust us to follow the messages we were supposed to be. There was a lot of really intense and in-your-face scoring and music to outline those important, intense moments that we were supposed to be emotional about. There was a lot of really thorough and repeated explanation of history. And I know this is a teaching episode, so of course they need to do some of that. But I think that I agree with this. The thematic elements sort of stood on their own. The power of this initial story and just telling it, I believe, would have been enough But because the original story is so impactful, I also felt that it left our doctor and our companions with a little bit less of a purpose in their adventure than they normally have. And that was kind of confusing for me.
1: I definitely agree with you. There was something about this episode that was lacking. I think the Doctor Who was missing. It didn't feel like a Doctor Who episode, which is fine. I was actually excited to get a history type show. I was always thinking we do get to see famous people from the past. we never get to see them during what they're famous for. We got to see Churchill. We got to see a lot of people, but it wasn't during that pivotal event. But then they got stuck in that one event and it was just about that bus at that one time, which I think could have been very interesting. And there was definitely interesting parts.
2: It was almost like they caught themselves in a trap because by trying to pay so much respect to this pivotal moment, which was wonderful... Please don't get me wrong. I love that they honored this. My favorite Doctor Who episodes are always set in the past. And I like the element of it where we are learning, which is why Doctor Who was developed in the first place. Now, some people appreciated not bringing the future into this episode and messing with the past, having the historical figure go on a journey with us, having the Doctor explain what they're there to do because they thought it made a nice break from typical Doctor Who. While I do kind of agree with that, it's like you said, it, it sort of gave our characters nothing to do, though, except sit and observe and ensure that those historical events unfolded exactly in that way. The doctor tells us she realized what their job is, to keep history in order, no changing it, just guarding it. So it was almost just like watching a documentary of those events unfold.
1: Yeah. I mean, on paper, it sounds amazing. If I was writing this story and I was like, okay, so normally in, well, not Doctor Who shows, but normally in time travel shows or movies, they're in a different time and they're making sure they don't mess up history. They don't change history. But in this one, they're going to be the ones that are going to try to prevent someone else from changing history. That sounds exciting. But I think one of the main things that was lacking is the bad guy was not a full character. I did not care about him. When he was on screen, he seemed flat. And I know I read that a lot of people actually did like him. Really? Yeah.
2: Well, see, there I think is the difficulty. If we don't have a job in dealing with the main issue of Rosa Parks, and our job is just to make sure those events stick to plan, then really our interaction becomes with the villain, right? Let's make sure that he doesn't mess with events. Let's tell that story. And yeah, I know people enjoyed pulling the focus away from that. But when he's on screen, like you said, it wasn't even that interesting. And I don't know if that's to set up because he's coming back later, like the stenza that we saw last episode or these series-long mysteries. But overall then, from episode one to three, just a lot of slow build in that case. Whatever the key statement is going to be for this pivotal returning series of Doctor Who... I don't know what that is yet. I thought we were getting there last episode, but I'm, I'm a little concerned still.
1: I commend Chibnall for this because it does take the imagination of Doctor Who and put it in a new environment, which is great. And you love when we go into the past. You really love that. The fact that it's Rosa Parks, this time frame, uh, we both love this time frame, the music, the way everything looks. But maybe episode three of a whole new genre, new doctor, new companion, new writers, you don't slow it down this much.
2: Yeah, and again, I know if we don't say this, we could get criticized because some people aren't that familiar with us, the Coffee Clatch crew and things we've discussed previously. I understand that the point of the episode is to talk about racism in a very real way. And this is something that Chibnall is trying not to shy away from, to bring to the forefront of Dr. Who. Again, commendable. But it's just like this quote says, you're sometimes left wishing it trusted us to engage with the simple, pure power of the story, of the actions. What I'm saying is it's not what was written, it's the way it was written. It's the way it was depicted. Now, I'll tell you what I did enjoy about it. Because our characters didn't have as much of an adventure to go on or as many things to do, it left some more time for actual character development. Instead of giving that out piecemeal as we've been doing in the past two episodes, okay, we'll focus on Ryan in this one, or Graham in this one. We got to see all of our companions. We got them feeling like a team and interacting more together. Also, because it was so intense, they incorporated moments of humor and levity that maybe have been there a little bit, but they really shined in this episode. I thought they really worked. The whole bit by Graham about being Steve Jobs, which sort of felt like improv, even though I know it was probably scripted, was excellent. I love that. Overall, I thought Graham... Did a wonderful job. In episode one, I really didn't know how to feel about him. And already by episode three, I love him. I think he's a great companion. We finally get a little bit more about Yaz, which we've been begging for. And while I agree with you on the villain not being fully formed, who knows why that is, I do like the idea of him not being able to kill or injure. I think that's really interesting. I think it puts him a little bit more on our playing field with everything we've been talking about and the nonviolent mission of the doctor and her companions. That's something maybe I'd like to go a little more into.
1: Well, we did get some violence. Ryan did, again, shoot something and someone, but this time he actually, well, he didn't kill. He just took him way back into another time.
2: And for good purpose. As soon as he did that, I thought, oh man, why didn't they just do that before? Mm -hmm. And he himself is struggling with this very difficult issue throughout the entire episode he's thrown back into another time and confronted with this intense prejudicial attitude everywhere he goes and it's taking everything he's got to not lash out in anger understandably so we want to hit that guy in the face when that scene happens
1: there was for sure three or four scenes that were very very impactful and i was like wow this is a good episode that initial scene when they first land (laughs) it sounds weird saying Mm -hmm. land and they're walking down the street and he goes to pick up that glove that scene right there was beautifully done it was very emotion evoking i don't know how he held back i would have punched that guy right back in the face i know back then you don't win there because everyone is a racist the cops we saw firsthand mm-hmm. need to get punched as well mm-hmm. the there's so driver. many yeah <laughs> there's so many realities of what's going on there that you don't think about too much in these times
2: Well, and even when the events are realistic, like you say, with that scene, it felt a little more honestly depicted, whereas with something like the motel, it felt a little heavy-handed. You know, the way the police officer was saying and doing what he was doing. Again, I I think it's just the depiction, and that's got to be really difficult to get right in their defense.
1: And I do want to say, and we'll touch upon this more, as I just said, that we're not used to seeing this, and it was very... You know, it's not something you think about often, but it was that bad. They do, which was great writing, Chibnall does make a point to let Yaz and Ryan speak about the fact that it is not completely gone.
2: Oh, racism? Yeah. This whole entire issue? No, absolutely. And I know that's part of the purpose for some of these scenes to be in your face, to make you uncomfortable about it. So that you do sit back and think, this is still a very real issue and it's something we need to understand and to look at differently.
1: And it does accomplish that goal. And as a whole, I do believe this is a good episode, if that was the only goal. And as we push on in this podcast, we're going to point out a few facts, a few things that are supposed to be Doctor Who, or some holes in what we know of Doctor Who that is actually pushed to the forefront as we see Jodie Whittaker try to traverse this landscape.
2: Well, let's get into our new faces and places. Obviously, we had Rosa Parks, played by Vignette Robinson. Now, here's a fun fact about her. I did recognize her as soon as she came on screen, but I couldn't figure out where from. She was in a previous Doctor Who episode where she played Abby Lerner. It was a 2007 episode called 42, a real-time space thriller set aboard the SS Pentalion. And if you pull up a picture, she looks very different in this episode, obviously, but I think you would notice her.
1: Yeah, that's a David Tennant episode. Yes. That role was played brilliantly. Rosa Parks looks strong, strong-willed. It's the Rosa Parks you pictured in your head growing up, learning about these events at school.
2: Then we had the bus driver, James Blake, the pivotal bus driver I'm talking about, was played by Trevor White. And our villain, Crasco was played by Joshua Bowman. We also heard about this important thing called Artron Energy. They make mention of it, but I'm not sure that it's entirely clear within the episode what it is and I don't know if that's because they don't want you to know too much about it, so we'll give an overview here, and then we'll come back to it in our spoiler section. It is a form of ambient radiation that exists within the time vortex. It's been described as a form of mental energy. The TARDIS feeds off of it, and it has several uses, but mostly as a power source.
1: Well, before we go into the plot, we got a chance to see the TARDIS again. Ever so briefly, but we got to see it. Are your thoughts still the same on what you feel?
2: Yeah, I don't think we saw enough else for me to to really know. I still definitely enjoyed it. But like you said, it's kind of a quick clip. So I didn't get...
1: It still feels cramped. It felt even more cramped. We have more people inside this TARDIS than we normally do.
2: That's part of it. The
1: other ones. But also you have these big chunks of rock, the orange rock that looks cool, but it's taking up a lot of space.
2: And I also still think part of it is the lighting. The dimmer lighting is going to make it feel smaller. I'm getting the feeling we're not going to spend a lot of time aboard the TARDIS this series, though. and That's heartbreaking. Yeah, I know. The way they dealt with that this episode, I think they had, again, a difficult time figuring out how to fit the new and the old because a big question that kept coming up in my mind, and I know they sort of had an explanation for it, but it was kind of like the translator for me from last episode why couldn't they just be on the TARDIS most of this time? Why couldn't Mm -hmm. they get information from the TARDIS? And, you know, I know they said they were avoiding running into Crasco again, but they wanted more info on him too. I mean, it was just a little bit shoved in there.
1: Well, there's so many things, and I'll just bring this up now. She never avoids running into huge aliens with guns and electric things that'll freeze you just by touching them or they touch you she goes after them. But then there's this guy in a leather suit that doesn't talk much, just stands there and has a shitty laser thing that he can't shoot. He can't aim to save his life. And she's afraid to go back to the TARDIS for that reason.
2: And she winds up going to find him anyway later on in the episode. So like I said, it just felt like an excuse for why we couldn't use the TARDIS and we had to go running around the town manually trying to get that information so that our characters would have something to do. But we're already talking plot, so let's get into it. We open up first in 1942 in Montgomery, Alabama, where Rosa boards a bus and refuses the driver's directions to get off and enter at the back. She sits in a seat labeled White's, and the driver tries to forcibly remove her. When she finally gets off to comply and goes around towards the back, he closes the doors and pulls away.
1: Now, one thing to keep in mind, even though the overall plot is teaching the young ones about Rosa Parks, circumstances that happen and the way they do tell it is very liberal. It's not actually a history lesson.
2: Some of it. Some things are true to the actual events and some things take a few liberties. I mean, Rosa Parks was an activist in the civil rights movement. She is best known for her role in the Montgomery bus boycott, which this Incident instigated. In 1955, she did reject the bus driver's orders to relinquish her seat. However, she wasn't the first to do this, and a lot of people go back to another woman as being a major influencer. Nine months prior to the events here, a teenager named Claudette Colvin refused to give up her seat to a white passenger. Because she was underage and believed to be pregnant by a much older man, which, by the way, that was later found out to be false, but it was decided that she would not be a suitable figure as the face of this boycott. They needed somebody else to represent them. And so they almost chose Rosa. In a way, this event was a little bit staged to represent everything they had been trying to do, but through the face of Rosa. Now, I feel, though, there were some inferences to that. For example, when Rosa steps in between Ryan and the doctor and this man who's assaulting them. She plays that up. She has to talk this certain way. She can't say what she really feels. She has to be polite to the man to diffuse the tension. And she's doing so because she is a figure within the community that people respect and to a certain extent will listen to. So I'm not trying to say that what she did was not important. It just wasn't the only figure within this movement. Now, what was... So different about this situation was actually the fact that Rosa Parks saw it through to a court challenge after her arrest for civil disobedience. She became a figure throughout this for violating the segregation laws and continuing along with that. It was the first major direct action and her case did finally succeed in 1956. There were other ways they tried to realistically depict these events that I thought was kind of cool. The bus that you see in this episode is a detailed replica of the one where the real Rosa Parks was arrested. The original bus still exists and is now exhibited in the Henry Ford Museum in Michigan. Now this scene sets the stage, but we quickly go to the next one, which is 12 years later, 1955. And that's where the events, when we think of them, Rosa Parks refusing the seat, took place. We start out on the TARDIS, where in their 14th attempt to get to Sheffield... They finally materialize in the U.S., though in an alley in Montgomery. Now, I I hate to already get off track here, but we're not going to go back to the TARDIS at all this episode. So I have to say, this confused me. What if the group had gotten off at one of the other 13 places? Often when the TARDIS takes them somewhere they're not supposed to go, the doctor has the inkling that's because the TARDIS is trying to tell her something. It usually is that they need her help. If it meant to go to Montgomery this whole time and knew that the point was to be in Montgomery, why did not it keep materializing in Alabama? Or why didn't it just bring them here first?
1: Well, this is one of those times where I, <clears throat> where I will try to explain that question away by making up a whole storyline in my head. With the thought of trying not to do that, like you said, the doctor oftentimes would get lost, land at the wrong time, wrong place. Maybe the other times the doctor did need to help, but she ignored it. This one, she just happened to not ignore. And with space travel, the TARDIS could bring her back to one of those other locations at a different time. That's at, true. At a different time at the same time.
2: That's true. Although they could avoid the issue altogether by not even saying it. It's one line that I don't know. Like, why did we need to throw that in there? That it's been 14 times.
1: Um, for us who would ask, I thought we're, I thought that she was taking them home. Why did they land there?
2: Mm. She was trying to, and it yeah. just kept... Okay. Maybe. Um, the group starts to have a conversation. The doctor instructs Graham not to let anyone know she lent Elvis a mobile phone in the past.
1: Doctor Whoism. him?
2: Yes, this has been brought up before. There have been brief references over the course of time about the doctor and Elvis crossing paths, even though he's one of the few historical figures that hasn't gotten a full adventure yet. The 11th doctor said he taught Elvis how to play the guitar and that they once played a duet together.
1: These are the type of things that I love in movies and TV shows. And I always say this, when it brings my imagination somewhere where in real life I would really love to experience, like being able to speak to Elvis or being able to say, oh, I know Beethoven or, Mm -hmm. oh, he stole my watch. You know, something that just sounds fun and it brings the kid out in me.
2: That's why I love these episodes that are set in the past.
1: When this episode opens up, we have 1950s music in the background. I really wish they pushed on with that theme, as far as their music is concerned, the entire episode. But after they open it up and get our minds in the location, they abandon that completely and go back to a newer-aged music
2: background. Yeah, some people said they were bothered by bringing in the pop songs later on. A, because it was a little heavy-handed, like I said. B, because it takes you out of the moment to have yeah. something that doesn't quite fit. But C, because it's going to date the episode later on. And that's normally not something Doctor Who does. So interesting that they chose to go that route. But this made me think of something else altogether. The team leaves the TARDIS. The Doctor says she sees traces of this Artron energy that aren't coming from the TARDIS. So they need to figure out what that is. And she tells the group before they leave, traversing here is tricky. History is a delicate thing. This goes back to the we don't want to mess with anything because there could be a butterfly effect. There could be ripples. Now, with previous doctors, they would attempt to stick to that by blending in. Let's say wearing the clothing of people from the 1950s, explaining to the group what it's going to be like in a place like this in the 1950s. None of that happens here.
1: We've seen it firsthand with Rose Tyler. The doctor actually stops her from leaving the TARDIS and says, you have to change first. You can't wear that. And and we can go on and on with companions where this happened. That threw me off. And then seeing them walk the neighborhood with street clothes from now. And no one seems to do a double take. No one seems to say, what the hell
2: are they wearing? Yeah. First of all, in the majority, women did not wear pants in the 1950s. Beyond that very simple fact, I mean, the Doctor is wearing an outfit that is bizarre, okay? It would be bizarre for anyone. I love it. But there's no way that somebody doesn't comment on that in that time period. They're sticking out like a sore thumb. This is not helping their mission at all. And the TARDIS always provides that stuff.
1: Yeah, we said in the past, the TARDIS is huge. We don't get to see all the hallways. The Doctor has clothes for every era. And this is something the doctor always thinks about.
2: Right. I mostly blame it on her, I'm sorry to say, because she's the one not telling them that. I mean, we've had some past episodes, too, where the racial tone is an issue. Uh, Martha Jones had similar reservations when they went to Elizabethan England in the Shakespeare Code and Bill Potts in the episode Thin Ice. There were moments where the doctor said... Things along the lines of this wasn't a great time for you to be coming back to. This could be dangerous. I want you to be aware of what that's going to be like. So given the fact that we have what seems to be a more compassionate and human doctor this time around, someone who cares, we've seen this already about her companion so much, it was just strange that that didn't happen.
1: And just one more thing, not to harp on it, it really slammed home when later on we see Rosa fixing the doctor's coat Mm. and sewing it. And I'm like, if she's going to notice that this coat is a material that does not exist yet, (laughs) this would be the time (laughs) she notices. Some polyblend
2: fiber. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, uh, who-isms that without them, things start to not make sense in a way that, kind of makes it fall apart, and I'm really pulled out of it for that reason. But anyhow, they start along and almost... Anywho. Anywho, they start along and it's almost immediately an issue, where on the street a woman drops something, and when Ryan tries to give it back, her husband hits him. Things are escalating when Rosa intervenes and diffuses the issue. She tells them about Emmett Till. The boy that was here on vacation from the north. Now, this is also a true event, a major historical event where a 14-year-old boy was brutally killed in Mississippi after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store.
1: Again, I love this scene. Very emotion invoking. Mm -hmm. I felt really bad for Ryan. And I think if I was there, I would have gotten arrested as Ryan's friend.
2: Yeah, well, in the next scene, too, where they're at the restaurant. and But yet again, I mean, the doctor has been to the past before. She doesn't think about that when they're going into the restaurant? I mean, I guess we needed to have those moments to highlight the issues of racism. But I just wonder if there's a more natural way we could have incorporated, like that thing on the street. There was no stopping that, mm-hmm. you know?
1: That felt natural. It didn't feel like it was pushed on you. Mm-hmm. They could have done the restaurant scene where the doctor is forced to split up with them for a reason. And Graham is hungry.
2: And they they just waltz in there.
1: And then it happens. I think it would be more, it would just, it fit better.
2: Yeah. Well, the group throughout this learned they have arrived the day before the historic event, December 1st, 1955. They discuss Ryan's disjointed knowledge about the event. And that's when they start raising attention and are kicked out of the restaurant. At this point, the doctor does say it. She's worried that it's dangerous here for them. She also doesn't want anything disrupting this critical point in history. So here is where she does want to take them back to the TARDIS to keep them safe. But they say they want to help. They volunteer to stay with her. So they all go to seek out the source of the Artron energy. They arrive at a warehouse where they find a suitcase full of devices from the future. Crasco enters and begins shooting at them poorly, as you said, mm-hmm. with his device, which is a temporal displacement weapon.
1: He's in an open room. He's right there. There's four people, bodies, that can only run one direction because it's a long building. It's not a wide building. And he still manages to miss.
2: So was that firing something that would hurt them, or was it just going to displace them the way it did with Ryan?
1: Just like the Weeping Angels. It's the same just weapon. A That's what Ryan stole from her.
2: Okay. Because I wondered if it had other usages and could hurt people, maybe it was intentionally missing because he's not allowed to hurt people. But yeah, transporting them, I don't think would be an issue. Well, by his wrist identifier, she realizes there's more to his story. He was at Storm Cage, a secure prison facility. Don't jump in there. We're going (laughs) to save it for the spoilers, but we do know this facility from somewhere. His crime was bad enough that they placed a neural restrictor in his brain before releasing him. We don't know what his crime was, except that it killed 2,000 people. So that's pretty intense. The restrictor chemically stops him from killing or injuring any living thing. Very good scan of this. I thought I detected it the first time we met,
0: and then it started to make sense, because we were wondering, you have obviously got a problem with Rosa, why don't you just kill her? But the answer is, because she can't. Neural restrictor means you can't kill or injure any living thing. It stops you from doing it, no
2: matter how much you want to try. He has gotten here using a vortex manipulator, which the doctor says is a cheap and nasty time travel device. We've also seen a vortex manipulator before. And so she smashes it, preventing him from leaving. We learn that his scheme is to change tiny actions in the past which will prevent the course of events that are about to occur. It'll change everything from here He's on out. planning end. on killing or destroying or breaking history. He's planning to nudge it
0: just enough so that it doesn't happen. Enough of a stick in the spokes to throw everything off the rails. And now I'm really mixing my transport metaphors. Well, he didn't reckon with us keeping it in place.
2: And how do we do that then? Now the group needs a plan for how to manage this. So they sneak into a motel and start to develop how they're going to protect history until they are interrupted by a police officer who's come to search their room. So, like we said, this is a little, uh, whatever, but I love, love Graham's performance here. I mean, without a second's notice, he just jumps on to this improv, this fake story. What's your business
1: here in Montgomery?
2: We're here to um,
0: pitch an invention. Yeah, uh, it's... A telephone that plays music and uh, it's a camera, also takes photo okay, and it's a calendar and it sends letters. Sounds ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. What's your name sir? Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs.
2: He actually seems more natural with it than the doctor. He's less obvious about what he's doing.
1: Well, when you're lying, always pull from what you know. And that's exactly what he's <laughs> that doing. That
2: amazing. They're clearly trying to stall to give Yaz and Ryan a chance to slip out the bathroom window before the officer checks there.
1: In this motel, obviously I know about the past. We've learned about the past in school. There was white-only bathrooms, white-only drinking fountains. Everything. What, uh, did they have drinking fountains?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. Everything. Segregation laws. But I
1: never thought about motels being that way. It just never went in my head. So that was a reality point for me right there.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and this is staged to give us this moment with Yaz and Ryan where they can talk together. Ryan is very upset, thinking to himself, we're going through all this, but the problems aren't going to disappear. Racism is still going to be a very real issue in the present. So what did we really change? But Yaz tells him how far they've come, thanks to people like Rosa Parks. She can work as a police officer. The U.S. will have their first black president. In other words, who knows where we'll be 50 years from now. She's trying to be an optimist, as Ryan puts it, and tell him this is an extremely slow process, yes, but we've made change.
1: This is probably one of Yaz's best scenes so far. Required the most from the actress. And I think she did very well with it.
2: Oh, absolutely. In fact, there were other moments that I wish they gave her more with throughout the episode where they kind of came to her and then pulled the focus away. And I, I wondered why, because I think we still do need a lot more of Yaz than what we're getting. But it was very nice. We had a couple of endearing moments between the two of them and perhaps a setup for some romantic interaction. There's some talk about whether that other scene where Ryan talks about one of her her previous boyfriends.
1: Was punching up? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Not sure yet? Not sure.
2: Okay. Well, once the group formulates their plan, Operation Rosa Parks, which is essentially just to get more information about everything, everything having to do with this day, so they can ensure that it all goes according to plan, the way it did in the past, they split up to execute. Ryan follows Rosa and convinces her he wants to help with the fight. She brings him to a meeting where Martin Luther King is present, currently a minister there. That was very cute. Where Ryan freaked out about it.
1: Oh yeah, excuse me, Dr. King. Yes, Rosa Parks? Whoa. (laughs) That is cool.
2: And it ends with Ryan telling Rosa the fight is worth it and things will get better.
1: Ryan's scenes here, really... We're good. And this was his episode to shine because he's going through the most, obviously. Just trying to walk around is a scary journey in itself.
2: Yeah. And they keep kind of leaving him alone on it. I I felt a little bad. I didn't understand. It was like they did know the danger, but then they kind of didn't or they forgot or they thought he could handle it. I don't know.
1: Well, he seemed like he could handle it. He was holding his emotions were definitely in check way better than mine would be. And he was holding himself together.
2: That's what I would be worried about, though. Because it's so easy to just... One more thing, and you're going to want to snap. And I'd be a little concerned that that might happen. And yet again, we kind of have them breaking up in a very similar fashion already. Graham has to find out about the bus drivers again. (laughs) Like... um, it was a great scene, don't get me wrong. I, I really like him. He goes to have a drink with James Blake. His acting in this was amazing. Yes, awesome. Uh, who He had remembered all of this information because of Grace, and I like how they keep weaving her back through the episodes. Uh, he discovers that James will be off fishing tomorrow because the man from the depot said his workday had been changed. Meanwhile, the doctor and Yaz managed to stop James's cover driver, Elias Griffin, by telling him he's won an all-expense-paid trip to Vegas to see Frank Sinatra. And he must leave right away. Another moment of great humor.
1: It was very smart. And I thought they were just lying to him, but apparently, no. They are going to do it. Oh, yeah. Because Elvis went against the doctor's wishes and gave the phone to Frank Sinatra.
2: You're telling me that didn't (laughs) mess up anything in history? That they both had a mobile phone?
1: (laughs) The doctor never really stresses too much about changing history. And I never thought about that with all the things that the doctor goes through, saving people, maybe that was meant to happen. But then again, I tried to think about, well, what's different? This is actually a historical event that really butterflies out into the universe. So yeah, maybe this is why we couldn't affect history in this one.
2: I guess, but I think that in order to not have that get so crazy, because everything would have an impact, right? And then you'd have to figure out how to explain things. We've said this before, if you mess up, why don't they just go back one day in the TARDIS and redo and start over? I think there's too many questions. There's too much going around in circles when you get to that. So they've kind of just avoided it in the past. They're bringing it front and center here, yeah. which works for this episode. But, but I wonder if that creates a problem yeah, in the future.
1: The whole thing about if you make a mistake, just go back and start all over. The only reason why I don't feel cheated by saying they can't do that is from other movies where we've seen them try to do that, but then they see themselves there already mm-hmm. and they can't see themselves. Harry Potter, Harry Potter um, back to the future. So that's why I think.
2: Or it doesn't work it keeps messing things up worse. Like it was supposed to be that first chain of events that happened the first time. And there's no way goosebumps
1: right there. You're quoting
2: (laughs) (laughs) next. The doctor and Yaz head over to Rosa's store where she works as a seamstress and they give her the doctor's jacket to be repaired. Yaz stays to watch her and make sure she leaves for the bus on time after work. And I like this because I quite literally felt the tension and the anxiety it was great i got into the moment the same way yaz did while she was talking to rosa how thrilling that would be and wanting to just go on and on and find out more about her life what was it really like they're connecting in a sense but then she realizes oh shit, i've lost mm-hmm. track of time it's getting dark out i have a purpose here and now Rosa is saying oh well, i can just stay later and walk home if i need to finish it That same knot in my stomach of, oh, shit, what did you just do? No, she's supposed to be getting out of here onto a bus. How do we make that happen? So great acting by Yes on that. And I really enjoyed the next scene, too, where while that's happening, Graham and Ryan go to the fishing creek. And they tell James they overheard about this bus sit-in that's planned for tonight. And James runs off to stop it. He finds his bus smashed up, and they tell him his route will be canceled for the night. But the doctor and Graham find a new bus and get James started on his route. The essence is, it seems Crasco is always one step ahead of them and they have to keep undoing his plans.
1: Again, on paper, that sounds thrilling. If you're explaining this episode to me, I'm like, wow, this is cool. Crasco is like manipulating everything, changing things, and the doctor is always trying to catch up and refix it. But I, the character, Crasco, it was just like an annoying kid to me. Like, mm-hmm. oh, look what he did. He threw some rocks. I have to keep cleaning asshole. his
2: mess. It's redundant already.
1: And I wish I could explain more thoroughly why I did not like the character Crasco. Maybe I would say it's the acting, but there was no words.
2: There wasn't enough given to him no no to dialogue. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he didn't have a presence to me, even non-verbally on screen, one way or the other.
1: Coat looked like cheap leather. It didn't look like a real leather 50s coat. Um, he would do weird things like just walk up to Rosa on her walk home from work and she's like, can I help you? And then you get nothing from it. So yeah. you're like, why does this creep What's just happening? Walk walking up to her? We have no explanation of why he even wants to change this besides the fact that he said things start to go
2: wrong at this point in time. Seemingly For just him, that he's a racist asshole. I don't know, but yeah, if that's all there is, that wasn't even clear to me? I don't know. It was, it was kind of weird with Carrasco.
1: We need a reason why he's there and why he's doing this. Mm-hmm. A real reason.
2: Yeah, He does have a quote at the end. He finally tells Ryan he's trying to ensure his kind don't get above themselves. Um, but what's happened in the future? What's going on that he's become so angry? Why is he so racist? What, so all I can think to explain is that we're coming back to them again.
1: This could be one of those things when you're looking at a character after I've seen seasons of Doctor Who and I'm like, you're going to love this character. And after an episode, you're like, I guess I don't really, Mm -hmm. there's nothing special about that character. I'm like, just wait, (laughs) just wait. Yeah, it's coming. Maybe this is the reason. Maybe we do see him further on in the season and it makes more sense to us.
2: I'm willing to give them that benefit of the doubt all the way up through about (laughs) mid-season. you know, till about episode five. I'll go with it to see where they're headed, because it takes a lot to establish something new. Like we said, though, we're down to only 10 episodes in a season. So they're going to have to start moving quick to get it all done. Um, We do deal with Krasko here, because Ryan shoots him, like we said, with the temporal displacement gun, sending him away out of trouble. And he rejoins the others. They're all now on the bus, and the pivotal event seems to be finally back on track. But as the moment arrives, the doctor realizes they need to stay on the bus in order for it to be full enough that the driver will ask for seats to be given up.
1: I did enjoy this scene. Another emotion-invoking scene.
2: Yeah, and another, by Graham's performance, him being so upset with the fact that they have to stay and do nothing and doesn't want to be a part of that. The magnitude of them realizing they were here This has already happened and they had to be here in order for it to happen. It's crazy to think about. And after witnessing Rosa refuse to get up and being arrested by the police, the group returns to the TARDIS.
1: We get the music that was a little too much on the nose during this scene. But again, Vinette did an amazing job playing Rosa. Yaz's emotion was perfect. You could see Ryan in the background. His facial expressions told it all. One last gripe. After the scene in the restaurant, when they get kicked out and they call Yaz a Mexican, no one seemed to care what she looked like anymore after that because it didn't help the storyline. She could sit in the white section. No one bothered her. That was kind of like a, a loose end that they just let hang there.
2: And we understand how ridiculous that is. I mean, they don't even know. They're so ignorant that they don't even know what race she is. Ignorant. And yet, I think if we're being true to that time frame, she would still very much be discriminated against as well. She brings up how she still has to deal with that racism in present day. Also, she understands what Ryan is saying. I think she would be just as discriminated, unfortunately, in that situation. And it would not be okay, her sitting there. And she even kind of makes mention of it. Like, I don't really know. Am I supposed to sit here? I guess I'll just yeah. sit here. It's like she doesn't even know what to do. The character is saying, am, am I okay? Am I invisible? What's happening right now? I, f- I feel like we haven't really known what to do with Yaz as a character. And maybe she could have had a few more impactful moments here, but it was just too jam-packed. I don't know. It was a little, a little rough. And then we have this last scene, which we said is a little heavy on the teaching moment, but it's supposed to be a teaching episode kind of coming back to the Doctor Who roots. So when they get back to the TARDIS, the Doctor tells them this stuff, that the following Monday would start the boycotts of Montgomery buses. Across
0: Montgomery, people refused to use the buses as a response to Rosa's arrest. And in just over a year, on the 21st of December, 1956, segregation on buses in Montgomery was ended. So it all worked out for her? No, life's still hard for Rosa. She loses her job, so does her husband. It's a struggle. They keep fighting. And in June 1999, Rosa receives the Congressional Medal from President Clinton. The highest award given to any civilian, recognising her as a living icon for freedom. It took so long, though? Her whole life? Yes, it did.
2: But she changed the world. In fact, she changed the universe. We had to look this up to figure out what's going on at the very end with the asteroid. I found out that this does exist. Asteroid 284996 was discovered in 2010 and named Rosa Parks. All right, Jason, that wraps up our plot and is going to take us into our rating. On a scale of 1 to 10 sonics, what do you give episode 3, Rosa?
1: This is a hard episode for me, and this is for many reasons. One, we never bash TV shows or movies that we've watched. One, because we're covering it because we really love the show. Mm. Two, because it's someone's art, and we're artists. We know how that feels if someone's just bashing something that you've created. And three, with the weight that this type of episode has... It's almost um, wrong to say anything is wrong with an episode like this. I
2: know. I'm I'm worried about that. And I think it would be very easy if this was the only episode of CKC you're listening to, to come in and think we're not appreciative of the gravity of what was being talked about here. And if that's all I was judging it on, it would be great. I think they nailed it. I think it's really hard for Doctor Who as a show, they're trying to do so many things always. Always. At one time, they're trying to imagine a far distant future, what races would look like, their planets, what would be happening there, but then go back to the past and honor historic events while also bringing in a time-traveling alien. Plus, this series, we're introduced to a whole new doctor and new companion still trying to develop that. It's a lot to do. And I think what we're criticizing is the mix didn't quite mix together in this episode fully. Some things had to perhaps fall a little by the wayside in order to give attention to others. I think that's something that Chibnall's probably going to have to learn as he goes along, how to find that.
1: My thoughts mirror yours exactly. As a whole story, as the Rosa Parks story, I think it was great. It was very impactful. It was socially relevant. But as a Doctor Who episode, it was missing what makes Doctor Who Doctor Who. And we're already balancing the thoughts of, will Chubnall be able to capture what Doctor Who is while still being creative and original and making it his own? So it was a difficult one. And also to repeat what I said earlier, I don't think this is an episode three, Right. If everything is so new.
2: It Time-wise is maybe its biggest problem of placement, where it fell. Um, there's also just He's doing so many things right, and I can't even totally put my finger on what that kind of missing element is yet, 100%. Um, The doctor seems like the doctor. The companions are getting more interesting. Love the companions. Uh, So I don't know, but it's just, it's not bad. It's not quite there yet for me. And I think that I'm going to reiterate what I said last time. If you don't have the motivation because you're a longtime Doctor Who fan, I'm worried if there's enough to be holding people here that they'll fully get what Doctor Who is about.
1: Yes. I mean, we have a group of Clatchers that have been with us for a very long time who are normally very talkative with us after every episode. Those numbers have dropped off every episode. I think they gave it a try because we were (laughs) reviewing it and they've dropped off. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we can't promise them because we don't know yet. Yeah. So if it's not for them, I can't blame them.
2: So, yeah. with,
1: so with that being said, with everything we've talked about this episode, the lack of changing clothes, how the doctor didn't feel like she was adept at going back in time mm-hmm. and knowing what culturally and socially is going to be different. Um, the bad guy just not hitting a chord with me. hmm As of yet, again, you said that maybe he comes back and we learn more about it. That'd be nice. So for that, I'm giving it 6.5 Sonics. So in Rotten Tomatoes language, that would be a 65%. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, to reiterate, IMDB is at a 7.9 and they've been hovering in the sevens. Rotten Tomatoes has been holding around 93, 94, but with a lower audience score typically.
1: I feel shameful. I'm normally higher than what everyone else is (laughs) saying.
2: No, I'm definitely going to take a step down here too, because I have to always compare two to previous episodes. I liked episode one as an opener, but wasn't floored by it. I gave it an eight, went up because I really enjoyed the last one at an 8.5. I'm going to go down to a seven Sonics this episode.
1: So as a whole, your scoring is higher than mine.
2: A little bit. And I'm normally lower than you. I, um, Like I say, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that'll last till about episode five. (laughs) And then if I'm not truly sold, I may start going lower.
1: Yeah. And I was the one preaching that uh, we have to let go of what we know about Doctor Who and be open to what's new. And I I feel like I am doing that. Maybe I was harder this time. I don't know.
2: It's... I mean, I don't know that you can do that completely when you've been watching so long. And you've been watching longer than me, which also might be an issue. If anything, you would be more attached to Doctor Who than I would.
1: Oh, Bring on the angry tweets and emails.
2: (laughs) Well, I think longtime listeners will probably understand where you're coming from. And we're going to stay open to this. We're going to keep going along for the ride. I am intrigued yet again. By the next episode title, which we'll get into in a moment in our spoiler section. First, let's go to our MVC, our most valuable companion for the episode.
1: Over on Twitter, at ckc podcast. if you follow us there, you'll never miss this. After every episode, we ask all of our Clatchers, who is your MVC, most valuable companion? And this week, we gave you three. Ryan, Graham, and Yaz.
2: Yeah, our top three companions. Coming in with 0%... Was yes, yeah, yet again, and I, I keep chalking that up too. I don't think she's getting enough to do.
1: She will. There's still time. Coming in at 40% is Graham. Listen, he had some great scenes. His personality is amazing. He, we're learning very quickly that his talent of chatter, of getting people to open up and tell him information, is pivotal to this group.
2: Mm.
1: It's something that he's acquired his many years on Earth. He's a good talker, and he can smooth with the best of them.
2: Yeah, people feel comfortable around him. And winning out the week with 60% was Ryan.
1: This was one of his episodes, for sure. Which is funny because episode one was his episode as well. So maybe he's turning out... Well, I can't... Again, it's too early. I was going to say maybe he's turning out to be the meanish.
2: I said that in episode one, and I was very close to voting for him, but Grace stole the show. I mean, it Mm -hmm. was so hard not to give it to her. I thought he had a very important episode, but there was just such a bump up in Graham's acting this time and his portrayal that I really started to like him a lot more.
1: I liked both of them a lot more. I think we got to see Ryan act more in this. Once again his dyspraxia is not has Didn't not come appearance. into play. Yeah. But uh his acting, his facial expressions, he did really well with those. He yeah. said so much about his emotion in those faces and that's all you could do because if you acted on your emotions in this time frame you'd be in trouble
2: even just his little comments though were so timely and perfect i forget what something else happened later on in the episode and he was like really really is that what's going on right now <laughs> just you know like you're thinking to yourself what is happening and i guess our thoughts are mirrored in the clatchers comments jeff wrote in to say ryan As a black man, it would have been so easy for him to step into trouble and have something happen. But instead, he fought the fight and stuck with it, knowing this moment was more important than giving in to his own desires and not throwing punches.
1: Yeah, and he wanted to make a point he meant as a black man in 1955, Alabama. Yeah.
2: Yeah, dealing with everything he had to.
1: Absolutely. We agree, Jeff. And Brian wrote in to say, This episode really gave us a chance to see more of Yaz and Ryan. Kudos to Ryan for getting the biggest obstacle out of the way. As far back as I would go, can I assume our baddies is T-Rex poop now? Yeah, absolutely. We did get to see a lot more of Yaz and Ryan and their relationship together.
2: I knew that was going to keep blossoming. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to see where that's going to go. I don't know. I think I'm in the end of... While it seems they could be going romantic, I don't know if I ship it because... I'm loving their dynamic as a friendship, and the three of them feel more like a family to me. I think that a romantic development could interfere with that.
1: And as far as the T-Rex poop, I think he's talking about Peter Capaldi's first episode.
2: The dinosaur one, right? Yeah,
1: I think so. Sorry if we missed your joke, dude. It's really late tonight. He also wrote, At first, I thought that the doctor was going to be mad at Ryan for using what she herself described as a very dangerous weapon meaning the temporal displacement. Mm. But she wasn't. It occurred to me, she did explain to Ryan how it worked. Ooh.
2: Maybe she wanted him to do that? And where did he send him? Do we know?
1: He said as far back as the dial went.
2: Yeah. So he would have to just... Just
1: back in the day. Oh, maybe that's the the T-Rex poop.
2: So he would have to deal with it. Maybe
1: that's... (laughs) Back to the dinosaurs. he he
2: sent him that far because if there's people around, isn't he just going to keep messing with the past again?
1: No, he, he has nothing left. He has no... Well, he has no toys left, at least.
2: It, and, he was doing it at this time without anything.
1: Well, if Brian's right and it's with the T-Rexes, he That'd can't be do awesome. much. Yeah,
2: send him that <laughs> Now back. I get it,
1: Brian. I'm sorry. I think we read your comment backwards. Yeah. Sorry about
2: that. <laughs> well, Jason, am I hearing you right? Is your MBC Ryan?
1: Yes. Okay. That is my most <laughs> valuable companion. Again, I I just... I really enjoyed his acting. This was probably the biggest challenge he's going to have as far as being with the doctor he's going to be challenged many times with someone trying to kill him and things like that but oftentimes when someone's trying to kill you and you can fight back it's a lot easier than when someone's being so ignorant and so racist and you can't fight back
2: or you have to just respond with non-response
1: yeah exactly that's well, i mean can't fight back verbally or physically
2: yeah Well, I definitely agree, but if you haven't noticed, I'm giving it to Graham this time. You gave it to him last episode, but I haven't yet. I have a feeling we have more to see of Ryan. All of them, in fact. But I was just really able to enjoy how Graham related and rose to the occasion throughout the episode. And I think that he and Ryan had a really important moment, too, that was easily missed because of the humor of the situation. But when they confronted James... At the fishing creek.
1: Mm, Oh God, that was good.
2: It was like just so many things on so many levels happening within a two second time frame. That's where they're showing me they can do this right. Yeah. And they got to nail it like that more often.
1: Yeah, don't get me wrong. There was so many good scenes in this episode that I really did enjoy. It just as a whole, I had to be a little hard on it. Mm -hmm. So that concludes our Clatcher's comments section. If you guys want to join in on the conversation, it's easy. You can email us. Contact at CoffeeClatchCrew.com or tweet at us at podcast. Follow us there. If you don't have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're on all those. Or, and this is really fun, you guys can call us on our voicemail system. Don't worry, we won't pick up. It goes right to voicemail. <laughs> call us at CKC.6606. That's 252-368-6606. And if you guys really enjoy what we're doing, go on to CoffeeClatchCrew.com. Look at everything we have there. We got a CKC gear store. We have all the other podcast channels that we love doing.
2: Game of Thrones, Mr. Robot, Westworld, The Magicians. Plus, there's all our other content over on Patreon, where we do bonus podcasts covering fun topics.
1: We just released our Halloween special. I think that was one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far.
2: I really enjoyed it. And I think I'm pulling you over to the dark side because if you guys haven't heard, this breaking news, Jason the Horror-phobe is now completely obsessed with The Haunting of Hill House.
1: Breaking news, Jason the horror beat Christina in the bonus quiz of horror movies.
2: That's true too. What have <laughs> I done to you? Well, if you want to hear all that and more... Plus our movie coverage, we go see a new movie every month or a fun throwback. There are going to be some great ones coming up. We're going to be doing Bohemian Rhapsody and Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald. It is the perfect time to get in on this fun.
1: So join our Patreon. You can find a link there at CoffeeClatchCrew.com. But if that's not your bag and you still want to find a way to help us out, you can click our Amazon link on that same website and do your regular Amazon shopping. doesn't cost you any more. It just forces the huge conglomerate, Amazon, to give this little podcast a kickback for what you guys already needed and bought.
2: Or at the very least, give us that review on iTunes. It helps other people find this Doctor Who podcast and find the show, maybe, for the first time. Let's get them in on this conversation. Let's keep talking about Doctor Who.
1: We can't do it without you guys. So any little bit of help retweeting... Reviewing, telling your friends, joining our Patreon means the world to us.
2: And if you're not into spoilers, we will see you next week when we cover episode four. For those of you who are still with us, we had just a couple more fun facts that we didn't get into full detail on. We mentioned that Crasco has some devices that we have seen before. One of those is his vortex manipulator, the thing that the doctor says is a cheap and nasty form of time travel. Her 11th incarnation viewed this device much the same way. And do you remember who also had a device like this?
1: One of my favorite characters ever, Captain Jack.
2: Captain Jack Harkness, that's right. So that brings up a lot of speculation. They're talking about around the same time frame. Is there going to be some tie-ins between the two of those? Or will there be some tie-ins with somebody else? Grasco was imprisoned in the Stormcage Containment Facility, a 52nd century prison. And River Song was also a prisoner and frequent escapee from there.
1: One of my favorite Doctor Who characters.
2: <laughs> uh, this was first reference in The Time of Angels in 2010, but has come up several times since then.
1: Honestly, I say that jokingly, but Captain Jack and River and River are one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Both my favorites. My favoritists.
2: (laughs) Um, We also talked about Artron energy, how it's used for a whole host of different things. I mean, there are beings that are actually made up of this energy. Mostly it's just a power source, but we've also heard that it can be drained using an inhibitor, which would prevent Time Lords from regenerating.
1: Oh boy.
2: And we know the TARDIS feeds off it, is probably totally dependent on it to function,
1: Maybe that's why the doctor was so scared of him.
2: Absolutely. And he was messing around with the TARDIS when he first scanned it before he realized there were four shields. Was he planning on draining it from the TARDIS?
1: Or did he do something and we just don't know yet?
2: It's got to come back. Mm. So those are some intriguing. scary thoughts. Yeah, That would
1: make this episode even better.
2: I know. I really wanted to talk about it beforehand, but it gets so... Kind of money, yeah, with if people haven't seen and not wanting to blow up that spot. So let's just see where they go with it. And finally, we have some news on the upcoming episode. Episode four is titled Arachnids in the UK. I'm kind of pumped for this. It could get really cheesy, <laughs> but they say something's happening with the spiders in this city. The doctor and her companions find their way back to Yorkshire and Yaz's family, so... We're finally going to get to see more about Yaz and meet her family. That would be great. But only to find something is stirring amidst the eight-legged erected population of Sheffield.
1: Well, Halloween's coming. That's their Halloween episode. I like it.
2: There's also some really great tiebacks to Spider Things and Doctor Who history that we'll cover next week.
1: And I did find out from our Clatcher companions that I was pronouncing Yorkshire wrong two episodes ago. I think I was saying Yorkshire
2: or something. I think we both were because we're really bad with British terminology. I also got criticized because we said cookies instead of biscuits. Oh, yeah. Biscuit is not...
1: In our vernacular.
2: Like when you talk biscuit in the US, you're talking dog treats. Mm -hmm. That's basically it. I mean, that's the only time a biscuit's referred to that way. So I'm sorry. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around.
1: Well, all right, Clatchers, that pretty much wraps it up. I'm sorry if we were a little hard on this episode. In the end, we did enjoy it. I'm being an apologist. Oh, it's stop! How we felt? We're that's still sad. down
2: for the ride. You know, we give it to you straight. We have to. Hopefully, that's what you love about CKC. And our minds are completely open for the next episode. Here we go.
1: Till next week. This rounds on me. This round is on me. <laughs> try again